0: Did start. It's got a different screen on here. Sorry for the delay there. Every week, there's always something different. When you deal with technology, you never know what's going to happen, especially if you don't know how to control it. <laughs> Just let it fly. Anyway, um, we are in the book of First Corinthians, and would you believe that we are still dealing with uh, spiritual gifts? And I feel like I'm uh, like a snail just slowly crawling, just trying to get there. A turtle, I just... <laughs> I can't get through this. I thought in one or two weeks that we would probably do that section from, oh, starting about verse 4 through about 11. At least in two weeks. And here we are on the third week. And Lord willing, we will get through the rest of that section. Uh, I don't want to spend uh, a ton of hours and hours on it, but if that be, I guess that's what it's supposed to be. But uh, uh, I think it's important to understand uh, the spiritual gifts. Of course, uh, on our Monday night Bible studies, we dealt with spiritual gifts for quite some time in Ephesians. Um, what we're going to do here today, as we have already looked at the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and uh, gift of faith, we looked at the gift of healing, gifts of healing, last week, and uh, we tried to look at it in uh, context and. Uh, how it uh, uh, worked uh, with Christ and uh, the Apostles, um, in the book of Acts and uh, even in Corinthians, and then uh, how does it uh, mean to us today. And we will be looking at the working of miracles today, uh, gift of prophecy, and uh, gift of uh, discernment, There are tongues and interpretation of tongues, and I'm going to leave that for chapter 14 because that whole chapter dedicates the strength to that. And so, therefore, we'll probably get through this section today if I go ahead and get started and don't have a long-winded introduction. (laughs) So, uh, just tell me to move on, Dennis. Um, Spiritual gifts we know are vital for the body. It is very, very important. We have speaking gifts. We have serving gifts. You can divide all the gifts up into those two compartments if you like. The reason for them is so that we all be edified. That we be built up. Everybody needs everybody else because as individuals, we can't make it out there as lone soldiers, can we? We need others. We need others' gifts. And so Paul needed to stress this to the church at Corinth Because they were misusing the gifts, they were abusing them, totally misunderstanding what they were for. And uh, we see that they are significant no matter how insignificant they may mean to you, at least as far as your own person is. It is as significant as all the others. The Corinthians wanted the showy gifts. They wanted the gifts that would appeal to people and show them how great they were. And that is totally the opposite of what gifts are about. They wanted the sign gifts. Because sign gifts people can see just miracle things. The spectacular is what people will love to see. So one of those showy gifts is the working of miracles. And as we uh, will be looking at our text today, we'll, uh, we'll see what all that means. Um, God gave this gift of miracles to authenticate and with all the sign gifts to authenticate the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did. It made valid the very message He gave to the people. It gave backbone to what He just spoke about. And then as He did the miracles and uh, healings and such, the people were convinced that He is Lord, at least many of them were. The bottom line for healings and miracles is, is this. And one would know if the message was true if they saw supernatural events. Events that would be beyond the natural, that would correspond with the preaching. So that's why they're called sign gifts. They point to something that is significant, to be signified. Christ is the very heart of the message, is He not? Christ is the heart. The gifts, uh, of uh, the sign gifts are pointing to that. So that's what we're going to start with today. Let's um, pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and where we're at is verse 10. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Working of miracles. Let's define, let's define miracles. I think since we're going to talk a little bit about that. A good way to uh, define this is it's a supernatural intrusion into the natural law. We have a natural world that we live in. And it's bound by laws that God has set forth. Law of gravity and, and so on and so on. And, you know, As science discovers these things, then we realize that that law is going to be here. And that's what we're underneath. Unless God supernaturally comes in and causes a disturbance. Causes it now to be Supernatural, because He is supernatural. The universe works naturally, nature, natural, but every once in a while, God will break into this universe that we know and intervene in the affairs of man. He's always intervening, but sometimes there is a miraculous thing that will happen, some kind of occurrence. And throughout history, that has happened. And of course, we can look at biblical history and realize that that definitely has gone on. Uh, many times but only in God's timing I think of the incarnation where God came to earth in a human body through a human body via the Holy Spirit that's a supernatural occurrence God coming through uh, uh, in in the incarnation through Mary when His ministry started the miracles then began And he was a great miracle worker. The miracle worker of all of man. Ever. Nobody has ever done any kind of miracles like this man, God, Jesus. B.B. Warfield, that great Princeton theologian of a little over a hundred years ago, wrote a book that began with these words. When our Lord came down to earth, He drew heaven with Him. The signs which accompanied his ministry were but the trailing clouds of glory, which he brought from heaven, which is his home. The number of miracles which he wrought may easily be underrated. It has been said that in effect he banished disease and death from Palestine for the three years of his ministry. Warfield goes on to say, If this is exaggeration, it is a pardonable exaggeration. We ordinarily greatly underestimate his beneficent activity as he went about, as Luke says, doing good. His own divine power by which he began to found his church. He continued in the apostles whom he had chosen to complete this great work. So writes Warfield. He's saying we need to take a look at this great man-God, this God-man who did these great miracles and never make it less than what they are. It is awesome to look at as we go through the Gospels, and we're going to take a look at a few of these, to look at miracles. He was the miracle worker. He did these miracles. And He did it really for one reason. The the main reason is to show His what? Glory. Glory. That is what it's about. And we see that in John 2.11, whenever He turned the water into wine. That is the beginning of miracles. It didn't start, no miracle started whenever He was a little boy or He was a teenager or when He was in His twenties. But it started when He was 30 years old. It started in when His ministry started. And at chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, after He has just turned the water into wine. This beginning of signs, this beginning of signs, this is where they started, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and look at this, and manifested His glory. His disciples believed in Him. He manifested it. He put on display His glory right here on earth. Incredible. Alright, that's the beginning of that. So Jesus did miracles. The miracles had a purpose as we see here in verse 11. It was to show His glory. In chapter 5 of John, looking at verse 36, isn't this great just to look at the person of Christ for a moment? We focus on Him. We focus on His works. We love His person. And we love His works. 5.36 But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given Me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of Me that the Father has sent Me. That's what Jesus says. These works that I do bear witness of Me. They show His glory. They bear witness. Show who He is. In John 20, verse 30 and 31, You know, there were so so many miracles that He did that could not be recorded in the books. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That you would have life. Not only does it show God's glory, but also that we would believe... That people would believe and then have life, eternal life, the life of God. Zoe kind of life. Acts 2, 22 This is still speaking about Jesus, although it's in Acts. There is a sermon being preached by Peter right at Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear the. Jesus of Nazareth, this historical person that actually lived here, that came from Nazareth, Israel, a man attested by God to you. How was he attested? By miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. You knew that. You were here, you saw those. God attested his miracles and signs and wonders. Through Christ. He showed who He was, that He was really God. We look at Matthew 13, verse 54. Matthew 13, 54. Wouldn't that be riveting if you had kind of followed Christ, but you really weren't a believer? And now Peter is preaching this sermon and he said, You know, you saw those signs and wonders and miracles, and God worked those through Him. Now, what are you going to do about it? You know, at the end of that sermon, people were saying, What must we do? Peter says, repent. Believe in the Son of God. In Matthew 13, verse 54, when He had come to His own country, He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? These powerful, mighty works dunamis or what? dynamite that's the kind of power we're talking about that's what miracles is dealing with here look in Mark 16 17 Mark sixteen, seventeen through 20 and these signs will follow those who believe in my name they will cast out demons he's talking about the apostles here now They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Then after the Lord had spoken to them He was received up into heaven sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the Word through the accompanying signs. Amen? That is what it's about preaching the Word, the Word is confirmed by the signs. And that's what they did. That's what Jesus did for those three and a half years. That's what the apostles did. Jesus here told them that's what they're going to do. That's what they did as you look later on. So we see Jesus is a miracle worker. The apostles are miracle workers doing the same things that Jesus did, only it's through... His powers through the power of the Holy Spirit as a matter of fact. Let's go to Acts 14 verse 3. We can look at many, many of them and we'll look at more of them as we go through. But right now we're just showing that they were miracle workers. We know that. But it's neat to go back and look sometimes. Sometimes when we're reading we, we already take for granted that he did miracles and we want to move on to try to, you know, something else. We've heard about that. But you start centering in on what that is and you just are in awe. Therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of His grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. There the apostles Paul and Barnabas are at Iconium taking the gospel out to some place that had never heard it before. That's where Paul went. He went to the places where nobody had anything started. No churches. Boom, he goes in there, starts preaching to the unbelieving Jews and the the Gentiles, and he bears witness to the word of the the grace, and God works signs and wonders, grants those through him. Would you be convinced if you heard somebody say something and all of a sudden they do something miraculous? That is supernatural. That's what is going on. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. That's apostle, right? Paul and and there's Barnabas. uh, In Second Corinthians twelve, twelve, dealing with how do you tell whether one is an apostle or not? They're like us, they are humans just like us, but they have been granted certain gifts that other people don't have. 2 Corinthians twelve twelve. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance. How? How could you tell if one was an apostle? Oh, you're Peter, huh? I don't, I don't know if you're an apostle or not. I'm out here in Iconium. How do I know that you're an apostle? Signs and wonders and mighty that's our word for the day, miracle or power or dunamis Mighty deeds. That is how you tell who an apostle is. He does signs and wonders and miracles. Mighty deeds. Look in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. They have to do those things. If they don't do those things, they're not apostles. That's what Paul was saying there. Well, in the early church, the Word was going out. Hebrews is a book that's written a little bit later on. And verse 3, the Hebrew writer is, is saying, you know, uh, here's the Word of God, here's the Gospel, trust it, believe it, salvation is offered to you. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How are we going to escape the wrath of God if we don't have His salvation? And then He says this, watch this. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Now who's that? That was Jesus. He first spoke this Gospel in the Gospels, right? And it was confirmed to us, who are the us? Well, it's the Apostles. Whoever wrote this book, they've been with others. They had been around him. They followed him for three and a half years. Later on, Paul saw the risen Lord and he was granted uh, these particular gifts too. One untimely born, as 1 Corinthians 15 says. But it was confirmed. And you'll notice it's in the past tense. It first began to be spoken by the Lord. He did it and was confirmed, was confirmed, past tense it's been done, to us by those who heard Him. God also bearing witness, how did He do it? It was confirmed. God bore witness with signs and wonders, with various dunamis, powers, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will so the apostles saw the Lord saw his signs they too had the same thing they were they were confirmed by that and then they confirmed the same message with the same kind of miracles so the apostles were miracle workers carried on the work of Christ B.B. B. Warfield another comment on here dealing with these miraculous gifts they were part of the credentials of the apostles as the authoritative agents of God in founding the church. Their function thus confined them to distinctly the apostolic church and they necessarily passed away with it. So these marvelous abilities to confirm the Word occurred only when God was revealing the Word. Only when God was revealing the Word. Now, handle that. Hold on to that. Mark that in mind, okay? If we say miracles, and what we're talking about here is the the gift of miracles to certain individuals that were given to Jesus and the apostles the same way, and they go around doing miracles whenever a revealing of the Word of God would happen, what we're saying is that kind of gift cannot happen anymore after the apostolic church was done. And when the apostles were gone after that age, you can say, how can you say that, Dennis? God does miracles any time that He wants. I, I say, absolutely, He does. Don't ever think that I'm ever saying that God doesn't do miracles. So don't ever anybody come up here and say, yeah, Dennis doesn't believe in miracles. Because I do. You, you are looking at one right here. <laughs> and you're looking at each other. We, The best miracle that I can ever think of is God taking me from the wicked, depraved sinner that I was and turning me into an adopted child of God. That could be only a miracle. That is the best miracle. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's pointing to. But if we say miracles continue to go on today like they did then in in a gift and there are certain people that pull these off, they only had purpose to confirm God's revelation. I want you to think about that. Their purpose was to confirm God's revelation. If there are miracles being done by miracle workers today who have that particular gift, and wherever they go, they just start doing miracles. And there are a lot of people claiming, and we'll get to that in a moment, kind of like we did last week. Well, I better start looking at the watch, huh? I went till 3 o'clock last week. <laughs> I felt like it. after I was all done, I looked at the watch and I go, Oh my... These people are going to throw me out of here. I don't ever finish. We didn't go to 3 o'clock. I'm just kidding. If He's still revealing His Word, if He's still revealing His Word, do you you catch what I'm saying? He is not finished with the canon. And He's continuing on with Revelation. That's why I make this point very clear. And if you want to look from the end of the 1st century, actually end of the 2nd century, there was no revealing of His Word again. It was all finished. The canon is done. By the time the Apostle John wrote Revelation, would you guys admit that the Word of God was completed? Is that true? Is it true? If, if it's not, then Revelation 22 uh, 18 is a lie. Because it says what? If you add anything to this book, you'll be added unto you the plagues that are written in it. So there was not anything written. And if you want to look at the early church fathers, they know of no signs, wonders, and miracles. They know of no tongues, interpretation of tongues in the second century. You'll never see it written by anybody that's legitimate in the early church fathers. And throughout the church age, we don't hear any of it. Through the Reformation, we don't hear anything of it. We do hear some of it, and we'll get to that in a moment, but it was through the Roman Catholic Church, through many, 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 many many miracles, and we'll check those claims. And then there are other uh, oddballs outside the church saying that they did miracles, made claims. But if the Word of God is completed, that's what it's about. It's about the revelation. It's being revealed. He backs it up with a miracle. He is not revealing His Word right now today, is He? And some people say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, hey, stop that. that. That's not true. He's, he told me this. Once we get into that, folks, we've gotten a new revelation from God and we're missing out on it. If He told you that, why don't we have it in the Bible because I don't have it here. The canon is so important. If it's closed, it's closed. If it's not closed, then we have ongoing revelation and we can have these gifts going along. That's so important. If we don't have a closed canon... But the body of Christ says we have a closed canon. It is done. You can trust that what you have here in the Bible is finished, can't you? That is what the sign gifts were about. And why is it that so many people are so confused on this and there are a lot of claims going on. We've been talking about even resurrections. There are claimings of resurrection of the people coming back to life today because certain people have a particular gift and they can raise them up. They can do that because they've been given that gift. We tested that out. We believe that the Word of God is finished complete and closed and the revelation is over with. God has said what He has said and nothing is to be added to it. Then there is no reason for a continual flow of constant miracles to be happening today because God is not revealing His Word anymore. That sounds negative. God is not revealing His Word anymore. It's all right here. Anytime somebody says, here's what God told me, check it out if it agrees with the Word, well, fantastic. It was already there anyway. It's not new revelation, is it? But if they're saying something that is not that is foreign to Scripture and it's new revelation, you can just throw that out because anything that disagrees with the Word of God, we test all things with the Word, don't we? So a lot of people saying, hey, I have new revelation. Do they really? Do they? We don't have apostles today. There are churches that are said the first apostolic church of the church of deliverance of, on, on, on. and we know that in Ephesians 2 the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles. You can check that out in chapter 2. The apostles were the foundation. The church was built on it. As the book of Acts goes on to the end you will see less and less miracles. The book of Acts is the first book written after the ascension. Well, it is actually the first one that's in order chronologically. We know the first Corinthians actually probably was the first book written. And it's interesting all these sign gifts that we see are found in Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 and Paul really is showing that they had a misunderstanding of what they were. They were being used at the time but it was very early in the church in the book of Acts you'll see it it's very early in the church when you look at Paul's writings Do you see these particular gifts in Romans 12 when you have a list there? No, you will not see the sign gifts. Why? Because at that time they were already fading out. Uh, If you look at the rest of his epistles, you won't see it. How about in Peter? Peter was an apostle and he had a a list of gifts. He doesn't have any sign gifts there. That book was written later on as it was put into the canon. So when you have the listing of these uh, in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter um, 4, you won't see the sign gifts. Why? Those books were written later. These things were pretty well being done. The, the, The New Testament was pretty well finished. These letters were already going out to the churches. They didn't need to be confirmed anymore. The Word of God is now written. It's available. God still can do that. He was doing it. But people don't need miracles to understand the Word of God. If they won't believe the Word of God, they're not going to believe the miracles either. You remember what the Pharisees did whenever Jesus cast out demons and what did they do? That is from Beelzebub. They still didn't believe Him. It makes you think of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man and Lazarus, they're they're in uh, different compartments of uh, the life after and of course uh, the rich man would be considered to be in what we know as as hell Uh, hey, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets they won't believe even if one is arisen from the dead right? and that's the way it goes on today the miracles were signpost pointing to God's revelation the reality is here When you're at the reality, you don't need a sign anymore. You you have a, a son or a daughter, and they go away to college. You have pictures, and you look at those pictures, and there they are, or they just go away. You know, you haven't seen them in a while, or it's somebody near and dear to you. You look at that picture, and but when they come back to the house, you don't get out the picture book and just look at them. No, you go to the reality. Because that's who they are. That's just an image. It's pointing to what they're about and kind of what they look like, but here is the real person. And so the reality of Jesus Christ is already here, and the Word of God is finished. So we're not saying that God can't do miracles, and I qualify that again. We're just trying to say that God did some miracles at some period of time's to confirm His Word. And if you want to test that out, go back into biblical history, and you first start seeing Moses, at the uh, the, the signs done with Moses. You remember all those? The deliverance, the Passover, and the Red Sea, and all the way out in the wilderness, all those 40 years, all of a sudden they stopped. You didn't have any miracles then as they went into the Promised Land. Then, uh, another 700 years, you get uh, a couple of prophets that are risen up. Elijah and Elisha. Prophets. And they proclaimed God's new truth. There were miracles done by them and you see axe heads floating and all sorts of different kind of strange things. But that was the supernatural coming into the natural world. And that was to verify prophets. So you have Moses who stood for who? What? The law. Elijah and Elisha stood for what? The prophets. Jesus said, the law and the prophets. So He verified with them. And, and of course through the prophets you see some uh, after Elijah and Elisha but that kind of faded out. For 400 years you had no more revelation from God. You had no miracles. And then Jesus comes on the scene and then 30 years later as after He's born we see that He does miracles. And then it was carried out in the early church and then there was no more need because God was done revealing His Word. He is finished. Just like he was finished with Moses for a while. Just like he was finished with Elijah and Elisha and the prophets. And that stopped. And then Jesus and the apostles. You can check it out in history. Test it out for yourself if you so desire. I think it's good to check out. Isn't that an interesting thing? The law. The prophets. And then Christ himself is there and phased out. Boom. We don't need the signs. That's why we're saying what is going on. They have no place in the ongoing life in the church. That's why we don't have miracle services here. I've heard of churches that have miracle night and they're going to do miracles. And I guess if one really has the gift, they would be doing miracles. And and like I said last week, that means growing on of arms and legs, resurrection of the dead. If they have that gift, they can bring them up and do it whenever they want to, as God wills. Uh, But I've never heard of those kind of things happening. Uh, I've heard of symptomatic uh, kind of illnesses. supposedly being healed or at least for a while but not like this now that word power dunamis uh, this is a gift of power a gift of energy dynamite I uh, can't think of a, a stronger word right Atomic, nuclear, power, the the best of all the energy. This is Christ on earth doing this. The word power is finding or being found out all the way through the New Testament. You will see it over and over again, and it's always connected with defeating Satan or the enemy. The demons. Power. This is really I think very interesting. Um, What we're going to do is look at a few references. We're going to look at the power or the miracles and see how they're linked with defeating the other kingdom or defeating Satan. Power is seen with just a word. Jesus sometimes just says a word, the demons vanish. Now that's power. Look in Mark one thirty four. Then He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew Him. There He's taking on the enemy. That's going to take some power to cast out, to actually throw out in some way by speaking it, a demon out of somebody. And that happened constantly throughout the ministry. Now, you're in Mark 9, right? Right? Go to verse 39. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee. He was preaching, see the connection? Preaching and casting out demons. Preaches the word, Cast out demons. Connected with the, uh, the kingdom of Satan. It seems like a miracle will deal with the demonic influence. And the healings relate to physical illnesses. So you have a spiritual demonic influence and the miracle or the power takes that out, whereas healings is relating to those physical illnesses that we talked about like last week. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Chapter 8 in verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to Him many who were demon-possessed and He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Do you see there? You have um, a casting out. There's that power that comes in there with his, with his word. There's a spiritual thing. And then you have the physical illnesses where there's healing. Go to chapter 9, verse 31. Now, Jesus says, um restored sight to one. And when they had departed, they spread the news about Him in all that country, all the news going out. Verse 32, As they went out, behold, they brought to Him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. The multitude marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. He's doing things that nobody has done. An incredible thing. And so we go to chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 22 and 23. And this, this is just recorded in the Gospels. This is all about what Jesus did. This is, this is a wonder, miracle worker, isn't it? This is the one we love and adore. Look at the power He has. The one who was brought to Him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And He healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the Son of David? Again, you have the Pharisees saying that's the son of Beelzebub, just like in the other one. You notice the different ones that are happening. We could go on and on. Uh, let's look. Now that's Jesus. Let's look at the apostles who were given this also, the same gift. And that's why I say this was done then. Do you see these kind of miracles happening today that people are professing to say? In Luke 9.1, then He calls His twelve disciples together and gave them power, dunamis, and authority over all demons and to cure diseases or heal diseases. The power is dealing with the authority or casting out demons. The dunamis, the power. And that's what the apostles were given. Then in chapter 10, verse 17, you have the 70. Same thing. Then the 70 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. Isn't that incredible? They're going out and saying, the demons are even being cast out by by You through us. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority. I'm the one that threw him out of heaven. Jesus said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, dunamis, of the enemy, over the spiritual realm, and nothing shall be any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that you have this gift. Don't be rejoicing in that, just in itself, but what do you do? The spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's the reason we rejoice. Not because of the gifts and the things we're doing. Oh, look look what I did. Look look at this. No, 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 no. They recognize it comes from God and He says, you rejoice because you are saved. Your name is in heaven. That's the idea of it all anyway. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, again we have the apostles doing the works with these signs. And Stephen full of faith and power. You see what's happening? He's full of faith and power. Dunamis. Did great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen, full of faith and miracles. If you want to translate it the way they've been doing it all throughout. Chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. We keep tracing this. Just, this is the biblical sense. I'm not trying to read into it. I'm just looking at what was happening. 8, 6, and 7. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles, dunamis, which he did. And what's it connected with? What's power or dunamis or miracles connected with? For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. There is Philip with the power casting out demons. Paul did that also. In Romans 15.19 15.19 says, as he's preaching to the Gentiles, to make the Gentiles obedient. And then it says 19, "...in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem around to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, which I should, should build on another man's foundation. He went out to new places." But he's doing the same kind of thing. Well, you can say, okay, well, wait a minute now. You're saying we don't have the gift of this kind of power today. Well, what happens when demons are influencing us? What do we do with that? We've got to have somebody come along and cast them out, don't we? You remember the movie, The Exorcist? The Roman Catholic Church has exorcists to cast out demons. Are we doing that? Are we doing that today? Well, the Bible says we are to minister to each other. The Bible says we are to pray for one another, reprove one another, rebuke one another, love one another, teach one another, edify one another. Does it ever say to cast out demons from another? Can you find that in Scripture? You will not find it. You know what you have to do with that demon? And I'm not talking about Christians being possessed with demons because I don't believe in that, but they can influence us. They can't oppress us. Demons can possess unbelievers. But if a Christian is being oppressed by demonic powers, and we do fight with Satan, you've got to deal with that thing with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. And when you look in the New Testament, there's no reference there outside of the passages that I can think of in Ephesians 6, where it ta- talks about spiritual warfare. Putting on the person of Christ. And that's how you take on the spiritual demonic realm. Look in James chapter 4, verse 7. This is how we do it. We don't have to call an exorcist up and professionally get him out of us, Right? Oh, the misunderstanding. You know, there are churches here in town called deliverance churches. And that's what they supposedly do is drive demons out of people. Christians even. What does James 4, seven say though? Therefore, submit to God. You know what the rest of it is, don't you? Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. Resist him. Resist him. Don't follow what he wants you to do. Look in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. In verse 8 he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's right now in the church age. That is happening. He's walking about causing all sorts of havoc and wreaking havoc all over the world, isn't he? What does he say? Resist him. Stand firm, Ephesians 6 says, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we have a battle with the enemy, we are to stand firm and let the captain do the work be praying, be putting on that helmet of salvation, all the other pieces, that armor, that's acts of the person of Christ, recognize that He is the captain, He is the chief. We don't go out there fighting Satan alone or the demons and start calling them by names and casting them out. All we do is call on the name of the Lord. We recognize that He is the one who clothes us who arms us, we have the Word of God, we have prayer, we have the Holy Spirit, we don't need other things to get Him out of us. That's just scriptural New Testament truth. Isn't it amazing how much junk has come along? And I I call it, it sounds like I am warring against that, and I am. Uh, some of these things that have come along in our century have just been incredible what people have bought and uh, I bought it for uh, a time period uh, thinking that was the right way and when you start looking at scripture you say my it's not as uh, what I think the charismatic Pentecostals would want us to believe miracles have never really been the issue about people believing it was part of it that's what God used but you remember, uh, that's not how people are brought to the Lord. Ultimately, it's the Word of God. Jesus fed 25,000 people. Maybe more at the feeding of the 5,000, where you have kids and uh, the whole family's involved there. Next day, people were out there looking to be fed. They wanted another piece of bread from him and fish and to be full, to have more of that food. That's what people want. They want to see these signs and the spectacular displays. It's not so much about the Word of God. So when you go or hear or watch these on TV, you really won't hear the Word of God and the true gospel being preached. But what you will see are uh, people pleading for things to happen so people can see things and so they will feel good about their Christianity. What about those false and counterfeit miracles? Well, there were no miracles recorded in the early church until Roman Catholicism started. And Roman Catholicism, you you think of that somewhere around in the 400s. And if the Roman Catholic Church is right, that means God was confirming that the Roman Catholic Church was right. Uh, Oh, there were some amazing miracles. Claims of Miracles. In 4.15, I want you to hear this. And these are the kind of claims that are going on in our world around us today. We'd love to believe them and maybe and God could be doing them. But He's not working through individuals always where that's what their gift is and they do it. They found the bones of Stephen. The Catholic Church did. And I say that with quotes. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they really actually found the bones of Stephen. Bones were taken to Africa. And, I mean, all sorts of miracles are just happening everywhere. The bones of Stephen, 415 years later, hardy bones, I guess, a merchant in one town stole the arm of John the Baptist that they had gotten. Somehow, they got the arm of John the Baptist, they say. And that was preserved in a shrine. As long as he had that arm of John the Baptist, he was a, like a millionaire. I mean, the guy was rich long as he kept it in this closet, somebody found it and stole it from him. And whenever he lost that, it's like a curse happened, and the guy became poor. Became a beggar. A good luck charm. The arm of John the Baptist. Can you imagine? Isn't that ridiculous? Do you know, in the early years of the forming of the Roman Catholic uh, Church, Christians preserved feather droppings. From the wings of Gabriel, when he came to announce to Mary the birth of Jesus. Somehow they were able to keep those feather droppings. Isn't that amazing? The angels dropped their feathers. (laughs) The church at Rome exhibited a miracle working vial of a breast milk of the Virgin Mary. They came up with this somehow. And there were 20 different churches had bottles in France of Mary's breast milk to do the miracles with. They even said it wasn't necessarily the milk which was, but the virgin needed to nourish the infant. But throughout all the ages, what she did was continue to nourish and give milk to certain saints. This is Mary's breast milk. I think that's weird. These are the kind of things that I would not want to associate with the, the history of the church as miracles. Apparitions of Mary. you've heard them? You've heard them all over the place. What's going on there? You know, at Lourdes, for instance. Guadalupe, you know, the, the taco lady, you know, and she saw Jesus in the taco. Great shrines of Mary supporting apparitions of Mary appeared to some Indians for instance in Guadalupe and at Lourdes uh, same thing. Was God confirming Roman Catholicism? Was God confirming all of these ridiculous things showing this is the church? No, they are counterfeit miracles. Christian science has had counterfeit uh, fit miracles for years. The occult has counterfeit miracles. The pagans have them. The charismatics have them. And they started appearing mysteriously after a 1800 years, going right into the 1900s, early 1900s. Although the charismatics or the, the Pentecostal started, and then in the 1950s and 60s, 70s, the charismatics advanced that further, and they have made some tremendous claims. to say, "Dennis, you're against charismatics. I'm not I'm not against the people at all. As a matter of fact, I love them. I have a lot of friends, fellow Christians, but." I just look at Scripture and we look at history of the church and I look at these claims and I look at emptiness because they can't even come up with evidence. I know a lot of this is some of the same stuff I was talking about last week. The gift of miracles had a unique purpose. It was to confirm the revelation of God. That's why somebody who says they have revelation from God today, they have to have that. To confirm, you know, or to be confirmed, and also the miracles. So then you're saying, okay, do you believe that the word of God is being added on to? Oh no, 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 not at all, because Revelation 20. Well, what you're getting new revelation. What are you saying then? Is, is it equal scripture? A lot of them say yes. It's absolutely equal with scripture. Well then, Revelation is lying, or they're lying. The Bible tells me that we live by faith and not by sight. I'm not going to go around looking under a rock for every miracle I can get a hold of. And sadly to say, that's what's happening. Now that's miracles. That's the gift of miracles. And I would challenge anyone to check those out. What we just did, Jesus, the 70, the apostles, and say, do we have that same kind of gift going on today in individuals? And if we do, I want to see them. Because if I'm wrong, I want to be corrected. I want to be shown with real hard evidence. Well, the next gift that we approach now here in Corinthians... By the way, I hope I... uh, Whoever would be listening to this, if it was on... through the internet or whatever, heard about this, I would want to say that I hope I've come out of love and not trying to hurt somebody or try to destroy... A lot of times I've named names and such. and It's not that I hate those people. I I think there's just been deception. And I want to come out of love and just approach the Scriptures because Scripture to me is very important. And we're downplaying Scripture if we try to play it in some other way, I think. The next gift is talking about in chapter 12 to prophecy. Another is given prophecy. That means to speak forth. It means to proclaim. It's the ability that is given by the Spirit of God to a person to proclaim God's truth to others. To proclaim back at, at during the apostles to proclaim new truth. Go back to the Old Testament. They proclaimed new truth. They proclaimed. They actually gave God's revelation. We can still have prophecy today because that's what it means to proclaim. We are proclaiming God's Word. It's not new revelation. If I ever do that, I'm in trouble. We're just proclaiming God's truth. New Testament writers were inspired by God. They wrote God's revelation. They spoke for, for God. They proclaimed His Word. A lot of people, when they hear prophecy, what do they think of? Telling of the future. And it can mean that. But it means to forth tell, To tell forth. The prophets wrote New Testament or truth that looked all the way into the future, all the way into the coming of Christ. That is prophecy in the sense of something that will happen in the future. But it doesn't always mean that. It can mean it, but not usually. Um, we see this gift Old Testament, New Testament. There were prophets who revealed the truth of God. They proclaimed the truth, they revealed God's revelation, which something was never known before. Other times it'd be just reiterating something that had already been written before that was truth. You look in First Timothy chapter four, verse fourteen. This was a letter written on and in, and in this sense, this is not a sign gift, but it's actually a gift that is to continue. It's, it's, it is proclaiming the Word of God. It's the very truth. In 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy. Somebody proclaimed this, that uh, Timothy had this particular gift, the laying on the hands of the eldership. Um, there's Timothy. Uh, if you look in Peter, something that was written much later on than Corinth. 2 um, Timothy. Peter chapter 1.21 For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. There is a legitimacy of the Word of God that we have. It was coming by the will of God, not by the will of man. They were holy men. They were ones who wrote Scripture. And it was the Holy Spirit who had them do that in First Corinthians chapter 14, the very book that we're in, and we will get into 14 sometime down the road. But there it's talking about prophecy versus tongues. And he's going to give a thumbs up for prophecy and he's going to give tongues a lesser degree. Verse 1, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Proclaim to give God's truth. That's the gift that you want. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. When you are preaching the Word of God, proclaiming it, you edify, you exhort, you comfort it is one that edifies others. Prophecy proclaims the truth. Knowledge clarifies it. Remember the gift of knowledge. Wisdom applies it. Right? The gift of wisdom. Teaching imparts it. Exhortation demands that it be obeyed. And all this comes to, together when we minister to each other so that we might be built up. The gift of prophecy. Ready for the next one? It's the gift of discernment. Here in First Corinthians 12, verse 10. The discerning of spirits. Discernment. Diakrino. It means to judge through. It means to truly evaluate something. To see what is true. A.T. Robertson and his word studies of greek said it is given to tell whether the gifts are really of the holy spirit and supernatural or merely natural or even diabolical so at that time they discerned the spirits there were a lot of people saying a lot of things and doing a lot of things you needed discernment to tell but even today we need to discern what is true and what is not so it's not just a sign gift either is it it is meant for our time. At that time it was like a watchdog of the church. People were using this gift and it protected the church from error. Error could come in. And so they'd be able to tell what was genuine and what was not. You know what first John four one says? Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. First Corinthians fourteen twenty nine. Um Again, later on, people come in there be telling prophecies in church. How do we know that's true? In verse 29 it says this, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Let them discern with what they're saying is true. If it goes against biblical truth or something that has been revealed by God, then we know that that's wrong. They had to do that to protect it. And so here we are today where we need to discern too. There's a lot of false stuff happening out there. Are we discerning? And there are some people that are given a gift of discernment. Only one thing. There can be a negative thing with that. We can become so discerning in that we don't have love for it and we go around shooting everybody down when sometimes we need to be very careful with that gift. So there are individuals who have a special gift of discernment. And we wrap this up with our verse eleven in chapter twelve. Hey, I said Lord willing we're there. I'm under an hour. <laughs> I know you guys really aren't concerned with that, but what does verse eleven say? But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. As God wills. There's a summary of verses 4 through 10. We're all given certain gifts, but supernaturally and sovereignly given by the Spirit of God. And He's the one who has the gifts. We don't have to beg for these gifts because He sovereignly gives each one that particular gift. You don't even know exactly what it is. It's a compilation of a lot of gifts put them together as one making you that spiritual snowflake. He has already determined which gifts are going to go to whoever. And so we don't have to muddy it up by trying to get some kind of gift. That's why the Corinthians were in so much an error. And that's why Paul again says he does it as he wills. He fulfills his purpose in his sovereign way. We do not choose our gifts. Thank the Lord. Aren't you glad of that? We're not at a smorgasbord going, oh, I think I'll take this gift right here. This looks pretty good. This makes me look good. We thank the Lord because He has gifted the church. And every one of us here has been gifted because everyone needs to be edified. And the church for 2,000 years has been built up by particular gifts, and each one is allowed uh, by the Spirit to work. The Spirit works through them, it's for the sake of all others, and it's all for the glory of our great God. Let's pray.